filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calagiri. What is going on, you guys? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where week after week I'm condensing business books down to their core golden nuggets, saving you time from having to read it yourself. Really excited, guys. Had a really solid 2016. Went through a full year of the podcast. We're hitting year two of the podcast now. And, uh, you know, for me, it's just really exciting to get a full year under my belt and to see what we've done in a very short period of time. And I took the last two weeks to really think about what I wanted to do with the show. You know, where I want to go with the show. What do I want to do with Cut the Crap Podcast? And, you know, do I keep doing it or how do I improve it? Well, I'll let you guys know. Of course, I'm keeping up with it. I love this show. I love the fact that I can connect with you guys. I'm having fun doing it. So right now, I'm thinking about how I can take it a step further. How can I add more value? One of the biggest lessons from 2016 was um, from my interview with Sally Hogshead, actually. One thing I realized from that was, number one, it's great to share the summaries of each business book with you. Through podcast format, obviously. But I also want to deliver value to you guys in the way of actually pulling the author onto the show and digging deep into their brain, asking them questions, asking them to tell you stories, asking them, you know, for them, what are the top takeaways from the book? Because they know damn well they have to fill it with a whole bunch of other filler. But there's some key takeaways, like two or three main points they take away from each book or that they approach each book with. I want them to talk about that. So that you guys don't feel like, you know what, I'm getting gypped. I feel like I should pick up the book. I feel like I should read it. No, I want you guys to use this as an alternative to doing that. I want you guys to get the synopsis. And I want you guys to hear from the author, straight from the horse's mouth, you know, why they built the book. The biggest takeaways, their biggest mistakes, their biggest lessons learned. What they want you to do with the book. That way I feel like I'm able to bring two things together, make this podcast even more valuable for you. So that's my plan for 2017, and over the past two weeks, I've been thinking about it. Got some interviews already lined up. Already got a couple interviews done, and I'm very, very happy with how they went. So I'm excited just to bring you know a new and improved product and cut the crap podcast to you guys. So uh, very excited about that, and I hope you guys are excited about that as well too. All right, enough chit chat. Let's crack right into this one. What are we doing today? Today we're doing predictable revenue. I like Predictable Revenue. Great book written by Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Tyler. The whole idea behind Predictable Revenue is that it's a framework. It's a framework for effective lead generation that contradicts a lot of the traditional sales techniques and sales approaches. So the book by itself brings new tactics, new approaches that sales managers, sales directors, sales professionals can put into practice for themselves to try and generate more sales, more leads. Now, for anybody who doesn't know Aaron, the author, Aaron comes from Salesforce.com. And within Salesforce, he implemented many of these tactics, many of these strategies within Salesforce to achieve amazing results. Amazing results in the way of generating new leads, generating new sales. And then so he wrote a book about a lot of those changes that he implemented in Salesforce.com. I love this book because it takes a lot of those things that you can that he did in Salesforce.com and they're very easy to do yourself. Small little reorganizations, small little changes in terms of how you approach prospecting. I love these things because they're small little things that you can definitely implement. 
And so my hope with this episode, especially for having the first episode of 2017, that you guys can take one or two things from this episode and put it into practice for yourself to drive more sales for your company. All right, so without further ado, let's crack right into this one. Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Tyler. Golden nugget number one. Realize that you might be in cold calling 1.0 when it's time to evolve to cold calling 2.0. So what is cold calling 1.0 about? Well, cold calling 1.0, there's a number of different features, a number of different things that you need to look out for, different mindsets, different measurements, different things that you're measuring um, within cold calling 1.0 that are highly ineffective, just not productive, and it's actually making it harder for you to be successful. So in cold calling 1.0, all salespeople prospect. There's no separation of roles. Everybody is responsible for prospecting. There's an attitude of always be closing. Right, that old Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross phrase, ABC, always be closing. Don't like that attitude, but that's the kind of attitude you have in cold calling. The measurement, you measure daily activities like dials per day. You focus strictly on cold calls. There might be some manipulative techniques in there. A lot of people don't like cold calling and cold calling 1.0. You find that people are using longer letters, longer emails. In cold calling 1.0, people expect instant results. If I don't get instant results, ah, this stuff's not working. Throw it out. You find that people go wide and not deep. They're not focusing on going deep with this client. They're trying to hit as many people as possible. Giving up too quickly at the ideal targets. Then vice versa, not giving up quickly enough on non-ideal targets. And again, your metrics, you're depending on activity metrics rather than a proven process. So that's all cold calling 1.0. But what about cold calling 2.0? What's that all about? When cold calling 2.0, you have a dedicated prospecting team. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in the next Golden Nugget. But with cold calling 2.0, you have a team of people who are responsible strictly for prospecting. People who are responsible strictly for qualifying a lead. At which point when they qualified, that's when they pass it on to another team to advance that sale. That could be somewhat controversial because for the most part, every salesperson that I know in today's sales environment is responsible for not only prospecting, they're responsible for advancing the sale, and they're responsible for managing the client from an account management perspective. That's a lot of work on one individual and something's got to go. I'm going to talk about this later on, so we'll move on. So again, in cold calling 2.0, it's not about always be closing, it's about finding that mutual fit. Cold calling 2.0, it's not about measuring dials per day. It's about measuring qualified leads. How many qualified leads do we get today? Again, it's what you focus on. Cold calling 2.0, it's not so much about placing cold calls, but it's about doing research and finding referral calls to make. So who knows this person that I know that can introduce me to this person, right? It's about being a little bit smarter. Cold calling 2.0, it's always about authenticity. It's about ensuring that they know the entire process that they're going through or the process that you're going through, why you're asking certain questions. Lay it out all on the table. They know that you're trying to sell them something. So tell them, say, listen, all I need is 15 minutes. And with the 15 minutes I have, I'm going to be able to qualify you and see if we can help. If I can't help, I'm not going to waste any of your time. If I can help, then it might be in your best interest to maybe book another follow-up meeting to that. I just lay it out on the table. With cold calling 2.0, you're setting shorter emails. You're asking them one question in the email, which is helping to progress it forward, which is helping them to give a response to you. Cold calling 2.0 is all about understanding that it can take six, eight, ten weeks to develop new leads. 
It's about hitting 10 accounts 10 times instead of 100 accounts once. Again, that's the whole going deep, not wide thing. It's about being persistent. It's about not giving up quickly. It's about weeding out prospects that just aren't a good fit by having a good qualifier score in place. And it's about focusing on call conversations per day, not dials per day. So as you guys can see here, there's a big difference between cold calling 1.0 and cold calling 2.0. I'm focusing a lot on the cold calling 2.0 because it's a really big piece to the predictable revenue framework. You can't have predictable revenue if you don't have that front piece, that piece loading in new leads, qualifying new people, starting new conversations. And so you might say it's one of the most important pieces because if you don't have the top of the funnel being filled up, you got nothing coming down to the very bottom. Or if you have a very light stream flowing into the top of the funnel at the very beginning, you're going to have an extremely sparse uh, pool at the very end of your funnel. So you have to make sure that you have a really strong cold calling process, a really good framework, the right mindsets, the right measurements, the right approaches, the right tactics in place at the very beginning to fuel your funnel. Golden nugget number two, sales is not a one-person job. A one-person job, sales. Seems to me that in the sales role, a lot of folks think they can do a lot with just one person. One person can do prospecting. One person can advance the sale. One person can do account management. One person can do the marketing of themselves. It's just not true. According to Aaron Ross, that is. One of the big reasons why they did so exceptionally well was because they separated the sales process. For cold calling 2.0 to be executed properly, Aaron Ross suggests that the sales team should be divided into specialized functions. So what are those three functions? Number one, the first function, qualifiers. So in this role, you have sales development, outbound reps and market response reps. These folks are going out there and they're doing the cold calling. They're the ones who are starting the relationships. They're the ones that are qualifying customers, qualifying prospects. They're the ones searching out and finding the prospects. And not only are they finding them, but they're actually reaching out to them and they're qualifying them. So what happens if they qualify them? Well, it's their job essentially to dial every single day. It's their job to send the emails. It's their job to qualify. Now, once they're qualified, what do they do? Then they pass it on to the second sales function, the closers. So the closers are your account executives. And these are the folks that are responsible for advancing the sale. So taking somebody um, who just heard about you, they're kind of qualified, and running them all the way down the sales process to actually closing a deal. These guys are your closers, your account executives. So once you close a deal, you start the work, then what happens? At that point, it, that relationship then goes from being the closer's relationship to being the farmer's relationship. The farmers are your last specialized sales function. Your farmers, their customer success, account management reps, they're not only responsible for managing those clients, but also growing within those clients. So trying to generate more work and drive more benefit for those customers. So this point in particular, I really, really love, and I never actually thought about it until I read this book and how important it is and what a competitive differentiator this can be for an organization. The challenge I find is when one person is trying to do it all. That is a lot of work to do for one person. And you might be listening to me and saying, yeah, well, you just got to be able to manage your time properly. No. Eventually, what's going to happen is you're going to have a, a major um, go-to-market campaign in place, and you're going to qualify, qualify, qualify. Well, if you're focusing so much on qualifying, what are you doing about the farming? Can you really give your clients all the attention they need in order to actually manage them appropriately? 
Something's got to give. You can't do all three at once. And yet, for some reason, organizations feel like salespeople, they can do it all. This insight in particular for me really stood out and spoke to me a great deal because I've been in that position. I've been in that position where I have to manage all three and it's actually quite difficult. And so if you had somebody on the inside whose sole job was to qualify leads, was to qualify prospects, get them into the funnel, get them interested, compel them, make the contact, and then hand it over to to, uh, your account executives to advance the sale and close them, think about how good they could be. Your qualifiers could practice new scripts. They could practice new approaches, new ways to open doors. They could be very innovative and they can go very deep in that area that they're focused on, which is connecting and qualifying. Then you have your closers. Your closers can go very deep with their value propositions. They can get very good at figuring out what sticks, what hooks work, how to advance somebody from point A to point B faster. They can go deep in that area and get really, really good at it. Then you have your account executives, your account managers, your farmers. These guys can get really good at really managing the relationship and finding ways to add new value. To me, this makes perfect sense. And I think if you want to really excel in sales, if you really want to drive your pipeline up, if you gave three people in your organization each one of these roles, so if you gave one person qualifying role, one person a closer role, one person the farmer role, I truly believe that you will be a far more efficient, productive sales organization if that was the case. I just think the sales role by itself is very complex and to leave all three on one person, very, very difficult, extremely difficult. So I don't know what you guys think about that one, but to me, this was a huge one for me. I really, really like this golden nugget and something I'm definitely going to keep in mind and uh, absolutely suggest um, whenever I see a sales organization trying to generate more sales, I'm going to look at their people first and look at what they have on their plate. Are they doing the qualifying, the closing, and the farming all at once? If so, we might have our answer and understand why they're not hitting their numbers. Golden nugget number three. To be an effective salesperson, you need to understand the three different lead types. So according to Aaron Ross, there are three different types of leads. But before we get into the three different types, let's first understand what a lead is, right? So a lead is a sales prospect who is somewhat interested, or let's just say could be interested in your product or your service, either because they attended a seminar or a webinar that you put on, they downloaded a piece of content, they follow you on social media and they like what you're putting out, they've listened to your podcast before, they've watched your videos, your, your video series, whatever it is, a lead is someone who is interested in what you have to offer because they viewed something or bought into something, opted into something that you put out there. Once that person has exchanged their data, their personal contact info, in exchange for your content, they are leads, okay? But now that we're talking about leads, there's three different types. So what are the three types? The first one, Aaron Ross calls them seeds. So just like the seeds of a plant, these leads stem from the hard work that goes into building up your brand, winning new followers on social media, spreading the word out there. The seeds will often find you through things like internet searches, they'll find you through PR campaigns, social media, content marketing, etc. So these take time to develop. It's the investment in your marketplace that you must do in order to attract seeds. Now, if you care for these seeds, they're very likely to grow into customers. But again, you have to put out content on a regular basis, you have to attract them, and as these people raise their hand for more information, they grow into customers. The second type of lead, nets. 
Now these folks, they're won through classic marketing programs that are designed to reach a very large audience. So for example, you might be running an email marketing campaign or an advertising campaign. Um, you know, for example, you might be running an advertisement on Facebook or Instagram. When you put out marketing like that, then what you're going to do is you're going to attract nets. You know, one advertising campaign on Facebook or Instagram could net you five, 10 leads perhaps. Those leads, they're considered nets. The third and final type of lead, these leads are called spears. And you attract these spears by using targeted outbound marketing efforts. So this means that you're gonna build a target profile of the kinds of people or the kinds of companies you're targeting. And then what you're gonna do is you're going to pursue them one after another. So in other words, you're going to hire people in order to follow up with these folks. You're going to go very direct, very one-to-one -one type of marketing to attract these people. These folks might be your high value, your high net worth type of clients, and you're going to develop a very specific marketing program, sales program to attract these folks. These folks are your spears. So you have three different lead types. You have seeds, you have nets, you have spears. So when I read this, what do I think? I think it's all right. You know, it's fine. It's, it's good to understand there's three different types of leads. You know, you have the seeds, the nets, the spears. The one thing that I will say this did was um, it created clarity in terms of the big picture, in terms of growing your company, all the things that you need to do in order to attract all of these people. And the one thing I like about it is that it does show and it demonstrates that one campaign will not attract everybody. There's no one size fits all. There's a different campaign for a different type of lead. So you might be running social media marketing, uh, content marketing uh, uh, activities. These activities will attract a specific type of lead. It's going to attract your seeds. Now you might be doing paid media or paid advertising. These guys, this type of marketing effort, this is going to attract nets. You might be doing very one-to-one -one direct marketing efforts. These efforts are best used to attract your spears. So again, when it comes down to it, when you're trying to decide what to do, where to put my money, you need to understand that your approach to marketing isn't going to attract all three. It's going to attract one specific lead type. And I think that insight is kind of important to realize. Your high net worth clients, are you going to attract these high net worth clients by going at it with a campaign that would attract seeds? No, of course not. These you know, top five or 10 or 20 clients that you really, really want you know, maybe the biggest ones in your marketplace. You got to put a direct marketing program in place because these guys are your spears and they're tough to get at. So I think just this awareness in terms of there's different types of people out there, different types of prospects, and you need to use different types of strategies and tactics to, to, to attract them. I think it's a pretty good insight and I really like this one. And last but not least, golden nugget number four, two sales best practices that'll help take your sales skills to the next level. So there's a couple best practices here that Aaron Ross shares, and I really like these ones. The first one is called the success plan. Now, Aaron Ross suggested you create a success plan that paints a picture of the gains that your clients, your customers are going to achieve when your company is able to help them. He suggests that you try and write down exactly how your products, how your services will make your client's life better once they use them. So what details do your clients care about? ROI growth, cost savings, new client acquisition, efficiencies. What do they care about? What are the benefits that your product, your service provides? And throughout the sales process, what Aaron suggests is you actually build this success plan for your clients to demonstrate to them what you will be able to deliver for them. 
It's almost as if you're building a business case for your clients and you're actually spending time to understand their business, understand what they care about and demonstrate to them on paper. Show them what engaging you actually looks like from a bottom line perspective, from a top line perspective. That's incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And uh, I completely agree with that. I think that if you can give your clients, your prospects, some insights into what they are to expect by working with you from a results perspective, Man, that's a game changer. That gives you a competitive edge over your competitors or peers in sales who are vying for the same opportunity. If you're able to demonstrate to them value, if you can demonstrate to them how your product is going to grow revenues, cut costs, or what have you, you have a competitive edge, my friend. And I would highly suggest a lot of you incorporate that into your sales practice. It's a great suggestion by Aaron, a great suggestion. So another best practice that Aaron brings to the table is something he calls the three hour and 15 minute sales process. Now, I really like this one. If you don't have a sales process in place, you have one right here. And it actually, I like it. It's pretty simple, but it works. It's a three step approach and it starts off with a conversation, a conversation between the salesperson and a prospect. And this conversation is to take 15 minutes. And the whole objective of this is for the salesperson to make very light conversation with the prospect and to build rapport and to really get a sense if, you know, we should be moving this to the next phase to better understand your company and to better qualify you to work together, to collaborate together. So if the salesperson believes there's something there, then they'll move to the next stage. And the next stage is what you call a qualification or discovery call. And this is you using your first hour in this process. So in this conversation, you're going to talk to those that are responsible for new deals. So in this case, you're going to talk to the decision makers. So both the salesperson and the decision maker, you need to find out if there's a fit. The last step is your group working session. And the group working session is a two-hour session where you develop a collaborative vision together between the salesperson and the entire team, all the stakeholders, the decision makers. Now at this stage... You should really describe very clearly how your product, how your service is going to help your client become successful. And at this point, you might want to put in place your success plan that I talked about. You might want to bring the success plan to the table. After your qualification discovery call, you might want to ask a lot of information to build the success plan. You can bring that success plan to the group working session, or you might want to do it in the group working session. It's all up to you. It's very free-flowing, whatever you decide to do. But the whole purpose of this is to have a very simple three-step process. First step, just understanding the customer, building rapport. The second one, qualify them, discover, learn more about them. And then the last phase, your group working session, bringing together all decision makers, all stakeholders to make a really good discussion and to truly understand how your product, how your service can benefit them and get everything out on the table, get everybody talking the same language, get everybody aligned, ensure your expectations are in check. And this right here can be a very powerful, powerful opportunity for you to generate some sales. All right, my friends, there we have it. That's predictable revenue. Turn your business into a sales machine with the $100 million best practices of Salesforce.com. And this one's by Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Tyler. I really like this one, you guys. I hope you guys like this one too. It was a solid book with some good takeaways, some very tactical pieces you can put into practice right away. Again, if you're in charge of a sales team or if you're in sales, you might want to consider trying some of these elements out and uh, see how they work for you, right? What do you have to lose? So you guys, one of the things, like I said at the very beginning of the episode was that uh, moving forward, what I want to do is I want to bring on authors. So as you can see here, as I give you the analysis, how cool would it be for me to actually bring Aaron Ross on the podcast 
to talk about predictable revenue, talk about some lessons learned, talk about some stories, talk about some common pitfalls that he sees, talk about why he, uh, why he developed this book in the first place. How cool would that be? I think it just takes the podcast to the next level, so I'm really excited to do that, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't book anything with Aaron Ross, because I'm going to be looking to launch this more in February and have January just sort of a business-as-usual type of thing. I just want to make sure I'm getting the content out to you guys still. Stay tuned. I know you guys will. You guys are the best. Uh, so loyal, and, and you know I really, really appreciate you guys, and we're going to make year two of Cut the Crap Podcast even better than year one, and uh, I'm just glad that you guys are uh, on this ride with me as well, too, so... Thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in again this week. Do me a favor and share this through all your social networks. It would really mean a lot to me. Please feel free to tag me, whether it's an Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, doesn't matter, you guys. It would mean so, so much to me. The more you guys support me and support the show, I mean, it just it truly makes my day, you guys. So um, thank you so much, you guys, for doing that for me. And thank you so much for uh, tuning in again today, you guys. Always means a lot to me. You guys, this is a wrap. I will catch you guys back here next week with a brand new business book and brand new golden nuggets. I hope you guys have an awesome week, a productive week. Take it easy. I love you guys. What does it mean to be an entrepreneur in a world of inaction, over-promising and under-delivering? Every second, man seems to claim himself an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone that would never call himself an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone that is happy to work while all others are out partying. An entrepreneur's drug is success. He is addicted to success. And finally, the entrepreneur knows one simple fact. I will make it, maybe not immediately, but absolutely and definitely. You have to hustle. You have to think outside of the box to make things happen when it seems impossibly difficult for anything to happen. To continue to get up off of the canvas when you are beaten down relentlessly. Win or learn. I never lose. I will succeed, not immediately, but absolutely and definitely. I will take action when others hesitate. I will think big when others don't. I will sacrifice when others won't. I will dare to dream of greatness when others fear it. I will outwork my competition day and night. I am the captain of my fate, the master of my soul, the boss of my dreams, the king of my goals. You have to be a leader to be unique, to be hungry always and never satisfied. Proud, but never satisfied. To be followed by the competition, to take criticism and negativity and use it to build your greatness, to survive the storms and the tough moments, to be humble in the good times. It is sacrificing your today for a better tomorrow. It is living a few years of your life like others won't so that you can spend the rest of your life like others can. That sacrifice, the dedication, 
the commitment, the discipline. Only rare human beings have these qualities. Only the very best among us. Then there's failure. Because we all know that it is coming, it is human nature. I mean, find me a successful human that has never failed. You can't, they don't exist. The only difference between the extremely successful among us in any field, any unknown, the only difference, the successful guy didn't give up. He found the way when there seemed to be no way. The other guy, he threw in the towel. Failure is simply learning another way not to do something. There are great lessons in failure. When it comes to success, there is rarely ever a time when luck comes into play. Hard work, however, always comes into play. There is no greater satisfaction in life than that of hard work paying off. No greater satisfaction than knowing you are self May take action while all others are sitting on their hands. The great difference between the somebodies and the nobodies very often only comes down to who is willing to take action, who is willing to put in the work, the grind. Are you willing?